Good morning. When we lived in Arizona, several of my friends were runners. Marathon runners, distance runners, I mean, they were all in. And I remember them saying they just didn't feel right if they didn't run. And frankly, I had no clue what they meant. (laughs) I had tried running when I was in college. Um, It released some anger and frustration, but it certainly didn't bring joy or a sense of well-being. Now, because of a rare autoimmune disease that I have had since college, there have actually been times in my life when I could barely walk. But during a season of stable health, I desired to explore that experience that my friends had when they ran. So I checked in with my doctor, and she gave me her blessing to try to run. No more than a 5K distance, but I could try. So I attempted that couch to 5K plan and quickly found that it was too much too soon for me. So I could have given up, but instead I decided to try my own intervals. So my, when I started, my jog interval was maybe from this pulpit to that first pew. Maybe. As I stayed with it, that jog interval grew to halfway down the aisle, then to out the door. You get the picture. It was slow going, but my running was becoming part of my life rhythm, and I was growing. I still remember the day that I ran more than I walked. I had the silliest grin on my face. Eventually, I ran the 5K at the Indy Mini. I remember asking God that day as I ran if it was okay to use this season of health to run or if I should be using it for something more important, something of greater purpose. I remember hearing, not audibly, but an undeniable sense, God answer me with, your joy in running brings me joy. Now here's before I would have never dreamed running would bring me joy. And I didn't know that God would ever say that he would find joy in my joy. I will likely never be a marathon runner, but I now get that feeling that I don't feel quite right when I don't run. So while I'm in a season for different physical reasons why I can't run right now, like in Hebrews 12.1, I have learned and continue to learn to run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. God has helped me to apply my physical running journey to my sacred journey with him. I continue to learn about starting where I am, doing what I can, how I can. Now, to be able to start where we are, we have to know where we are. So I would like for us to ask ourselves a couple of questions. So when I ask them, I would like you to write down the first thing that comes to mind. Don't judge it, don't overthink it, but take a minute to write it on paper, in your phone, wherever works for you. So those of you in the sanctuary, our custodial staff has graciously provided paper and sanitized pens for your use. And to relieve any stress, there's no right answer. And you're not going to have to share these with anyone unless you choose to. So ready? The first question. 
What three words would you use to describe your life with God today? And the second question, what three words would you like to describe your life with God? My hope is that as we unpack our scripture together today and learn together about a soul training plan, we will be challenged, equipped, and encouraged to take the next step toward cooperating with God to grow from where we are to where we long to be. Let's pray. God, as we open your word together this morning, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher. Awaken our hearts, expand our minds, shape our souls. Amen. So our scripture today comes from the Apostle Peter's second recorded letter. In this letter, Peter writes to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. He writes so that they and we may be certain of the foundation of our faith and having confidence in what we believe, we would be encouraged to grow in that faith. So one of the things that I love about this passage is the beautiful way it holds intention that once we have followed Christ, God provides everything we need. We don't earn it. And we must cooperate with the Holy Spirit to grow. We must make every effort to add to our faith. God's not opposed to effort. We're reminded that our spiritual journey begins with God's part. We have been saved by grace, not by works, through faith and belief in Christ's death and resurrection. And then we grow through our cooperation with him. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. So let's take a look first at God's provision. In the earlier NIV translation and other translations, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now notice that Peter states that his divine power has given us everything we need. He's not saying we will be given or that we have to do anything to receive it. We have been given it. The source of what we have been given is his divine power, power that is uniquely God's, that power that saves us in the first place and then gives us everything we need for life and godliness, everything we need to live an abundant, fulfilled life and everything we need to grow to live like Christ. It has already been given to us. It's ours to access in an amount from which nothing is held back. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Notice that life comes first. That salvation that is not just for heaven, but also for now. The life that Jesus invites us into in John 10.10 10, when he says that he came, that we might have life and we might have it abundantly. 
then godliness follows as we live out our life in his kingdom, as we grow in our knowledge of God. Peter continues by writing that through his glory and goodness, God gives us his very precious promises. I read that there are at least 30,000 promises in scripture. That's a lot. And I think this particular one is a bold promise. His divine power has given us everything that we need. It's not the only time this promise is in scripture. In Psalm 23, 1, we hear David say that the Lord is our shepherd and we lack nothing. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, we find that God is able to make all grace abound so that at all times in all things we will have all that we need for every good work. I am not saying that life with God is without pain or struggle. But I am saying that life with God provides a strength we cannot possess on our own, a hope that is available no matter what we face, joys or sorrows, triumphs or temptations. We have a power that is at work in us that changes the way we live because Christ is in us, the hope of glory. His divine power gives us everything we need. Peter tells us all of this is given through our knowledge of him who called us according to his own glory and goodness. I hear in this an invitation to continue our journey to know God through his word and time with him. Over the past few months, we have been identifying false narratives and working to adopt true scriptural narratives, such as adopting worship as an invitation from God, not an obligation. Releasing the false narrative that only certain people can share their faith to understanding that we are all called to share our faith and we can depend on the Holy Spirit to direct when and what to say through his power. Or there's the false narrative that my needs matter most when the truer narrative in a good and beautiful community is that others' needs matter more. Letting go of believing that God blesses me when I'm good and punishes me when I'm bad, or God simply wants and needs me to try harder, to trusting that the true narrative is that God's love and blessing is unchanging, and it's not dependent on our performance. And while God's love is not based on our, our performance, we do have a part to play in our spiritual growth. Our part as Christ's followers in this passage is to begin with faith and cooperate with the Holy Spirit to add to it goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. In our part, we move toward adding a goodness that is a moral excellence that will set us apart from the way the world operates a goodness that, as John Stott says, is the outcome of our imitating Christ. We continue to exchange false narratives for true narratives to add a knowledge that isn't only head knowledge, but a knowledge that changes how we live. 
For example, an athlete may know the rules of a sport, but effective play requires knowing how to handle and move the ball in the midst of the game. As believers in Christ, we are not to be passionless, but to exercise a self-control that allows our convictions and our life to point people to Jesus and that is compelling to our world. We can make every effort with the help of the Holy Spirit to add a perseverance that's associated with hope inspired by our Lord Jesus so that when the dog bites or the bee stings or when we're feeling sad, we can remember not just our favorite things, but we can remember that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus empowers us to live fully and abundantly in the kingdom now here and forever, and not surrender to our circumstances or fail under trial. We can grow in a godliness that is both an attitude and a manner of life, a heart position turned towards Jesus. We can add a brotherly kindness that is a mutual affection, a kindness to our brothers and sisters in Christ, an affection and a kindness that models and grows a good and beautiful community that makes a difference in our world. Now, Peter's list ends with adding love. And this is a love that goes far beyond the casual way our culture tosses around this word. It's a love that James Bryan Smith defines as willing the good of another. This has to be a love that flows from the love we receive from God because only then can we love in a way that includes that mutual affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ and goes beyond our Christian circles and into the world. Uh, most of the commentaries I read, this is not necessarily a linear progression. It's more likely characteristics we develop growing out of our faith and culminating in love. As we continue to add these things to our faith, we're going to look more and more like Jesus to ourselves, to others, and to our world. The goal of a Christian life is to be transformed into his likeness. As we say here at ECC, it's the movement from curiosity to Christiformity, having Christ's very nature formed in us. And love is central to who God is. Like this list, our path to having Christ's nature formed in us is not linear either. It's an ever-deepening spiral in our walk with God. We will keep getting curious, and as we learn more about God and ourselves, we will make progress towards our Christiformity. And as we circle back again to curiosity, because we will never know all there is to know about our God while we're here on this earth, we will always have room to grow in our journey with God. Last week, Leanne shared that worship is an invitation from God, and so is this direction to make every effort to add to our faith an invitation from God. It's an invitation to discipleship, to living as an apprentice to Jesus. It's like Eugene Peterson paraphrased in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. It's an invitation to keep company with Jesus 
so that we can develop with God an unforced rhythm of grace that allows us to live freely and lightly. I believe we can see the heart of God towards us when we look at the wise in verses 8 and 9 of our passage. He calls us to connect to his divine power and to make every effort so that we can escape the corruption of the world and participate in his divine nature. So that we can remember that we have been cleansed from our sins and because these things will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord. The main passage concludes with verse 11 that says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This verse makes me think of our power narratives, that I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights, and I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. The kingdom is not in trouble, and neither am I. Neither are you. But how do we get there? How do we grow to be confident of Christ in us, delighting in us? How do we get to where we are living in and from his unshakable kingdom? By connecting to his divine power that gives us everything we need for life and godliness. And by making every effort to add to our faith and grow to love. James Bryan Smith concludes the Good and Beautiful Apprentice series with a whole chapter dedicated to how we make a soul training plan to help us to do this. A soul training plan, at its most basic, is a list of practices you intend to engage with God through on a somewhat regular or consistent basis. It provides a framework for how we do our part on our spiritual journey. It's a balanced pattern that helps define how we want to live. It can help us go, to, to go from good intentions into action. Now, before you get stuck thinking, Kate, I don't have any room to add anything to my life or schedule right now, I encourage you to take a breath. And I want us to consider that we all have a soul training plan already. Whether written or unwritten, conscious or subconscious, we all have a rhythm through which we live out our days, and it's forming us. It is shaping who we are becoming. So I'm really not asking you to add anything. I'm asking us to consider what our rhythm includes and how our current soul training plan is shaping us. This is an invitation and a way not to add more but to pay attention and be intentional about what we allow to form us because we are all getting a spiritual formation. As we heard in our ECC Kids News today, we are being formed by the people and the experiences around us. Everything we do do does something to us. So if we want to be focused on growing with God so that God is the one shaping us from the inside out each day, we need to have an intentional plan. 
Now, we could spend weeks. It's really a lifetime journey, learning about spiritual practices and developing a soul training plan. But today, I want to offer an introduction and encouragement for some next steps. Like any good relationship, our relationship with God requires time and intentionality. Throughout church history, different practices to connect with God have been called spiritual disciplines. Now, James Bryan Smith calls these soul training exercises, which expresses both the purpose and our necessary participation. It can also remind us that there isn't anything spiritual in the disciplines or practices themselves. Richard Foster says, by themselves, spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. Nearly anything can be a soul training practice if it turns our heart toward God which also means that we can engage in even the most spiritually sounding thing and it doesn't necessarily shape us to be more like Christ. It's about our heart position in what we practice. Jesus is always about the heart. My dad played basketball for Georgetown in the early 60s. He's the fourth from the left, slightly behind number 31. One strong memory I have of watching basketball with my dad growing up is when a player stepped up to the free throw line. He would always say that this was one shot everyone should be able to make. He would explain that it simply required practice, practice, practice. So when the time came, you could make the shot. Now most of us are familiar with practice makes perfect, but in reality, practice makes perfect. Permanent. The things we practice become permanent, automatic responses. Now, Georgetown still describes him as an underrated player in his three years at the Hilltop. Joe Maslin was an undersized but important contributor to Georgetown's improved basketball fortunes of the early 1960s. I guess we could say he was average Joe. Someone who had been given talent yet had added to that talent with practice. My dad's goal was to be prepared when it was time to step up to that free throw line. He wanted that shot to be so automatic and natural that external pressures would have less impact on his shot. So he practiced. I think we can apply that to our soul training. Much like my dad practiced his sport, a soul training plan is a framework to help us know what to practice so that we will deepen our lives in Christ and create the space for the Holy Spirit to transform us. We engage in practices so that we know God by being with Jesus. We, become, we follow Jesus by being his apprentice and becoming like him. And we pursue his purposes in the world by doing what Jesus did. We live with Jesus in the way of Jesus so that when life comes at us and the past year has proven no one is exempt from circumstances we wouldn't choose, we can continue to turn towards Jesus to connect to his divine power because that is our habit. That is what our practice has made permanent. 
Now, the danger and risk when we start talking about soul training is creating a legalistic checklist, developing an overwhelming task, or sinking into unhealthy comparison. That I believe that the bigger risk is buying into the false narratives we find in the final chapter of the Good and Beautiful Community. That I don't need a plan, or I can do it on my own. So we have created a simple guide, a template, to help us develop or update our soul training plan together. A spiritual couch to 5K, so to speak. You'll find this guide and other resources we've begun curating and creating at ecclife.net slash soul training or through the link in the Bible app. This guide includes simple steps to creating or updating a soul training plan and lists of possible practices to consider. Now, it's important for us to note that nothing on a soul training plan will make God love us any more or any less, nor will how well or poorly we execute it affect his love for us. There is no right plan that everyone must follow. There's not even a right or required time to practice. A soul training plan is personal, and it places us in the space where we can receive God's love and grow and serve and love from there. Now, as you consider practices to include on your spiritual couch to 5K, pay attention to where you are and what you need. In some areas, you may need to take a first basic step Others, you may be ready to try to get to that front pew. <laughs> or you may already be running out the building and down the street. Ask God to show you what practices he's inviting you into with him. Maybe notice what might help you move toward those three words you said you would like to describe your life with God. Now, if this is all new to you, it could feel daunting, but please don't let it be. Start where you are. Remember that a soul training plan is a means to the end. The end is to know God, follow Jesus, and pursue his purposes in the world. A soul training plan is like a trellis to help us, as Jesus invites in John 15 to abide in the vine and bear much fruit. So start small. Start where you are, not where you feel you should be. God meets us right where we are, always, and then invites us to grow with him. Avoid the temptation to put all the things in your plan. <laughs> this can make it overwhelming and hamper your success. And don't attempt to start all these practices at once. Start with the one or two that is most important for you at this time, and then add another as soon as you're ready. I have a friend who dedicates her ironing time. God meets her there. Another prays as he walks or mows the yard. So consider your personality, season of life, stage of discipleship. One of our apprentice experience instructors, Jan Johnson, always said, do as you can, not as you can't. So as you build this plan, take the next step in your journey. If these practices are new to you, don't start with an hour of silence. Start with 60 seconds. If silence is already a part of your rhythm, maybe God is inviting you to lengthen the time or frequency. One friend has committed to open the curtains and watch the sun come up, to sit there for 10 minutes being quiet and listening for God before she starts her day. 
For another friend, walking, whether a brisk walk or a meandering wander through nature, has become a meaningful soul training practice. Another has a practice of starting his day with a robust, prayerful engagement with scripture. He writes the main point of the passage on a 3 by 5 card and reviews it throughout the day. Those three practices our ECC kids shared help us practice the way of Jesus. So keep a healthy balance of structure and spontaneity. Don't let your soul training plan become legalistic or rigid. It should support, but not constrict. Be prepared to reevaluate and adjust. It is an invitation from Jesus to draw closer to God and keep us moving along the lifelong pathway of transformation. It's not about keeping a set of rules. It's about practicing a gospel-centered discipleship where we learn to add to our faith because we are loved and forgiven. It's about being intentional about what we practice because practice makes permanent. So hear Romans 12, 1-2 in the message paraphrase as an invitation or description of a soul training plan. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. No one drifts into spiritual maturity. No one automatically adds to their faith all these things to grow to love. Wouldn't it be nice if we did? Uh, but we don't. Yet we can. Remember? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word and for your desire to be with us. Help us to pay attention to your invitations to practice with you. May we connect to your divine power and be changed as we cooperate with your spirit. Receive our continued worship as we gather at your table together now. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.